This is the St. Charles History Chronicle, episode 2307. The Kane County Master Gardeners History Museum Project with Master Gardener and Museum Vice President Mary Lynn Swanson. Brought to you by the St. Charles History Museum in St. Charles, Illinois. Welcome everybody, this is Steve Gibson with the St. Charles History Chronicles podcast. I am not here today with my faithful co-host Eric Krupa, he's taken the day off. However, I am joined by my cohort here as officer at the museum, and that is Vice President Mary Lynn Swanson. Welcome, Mary Lynn. Hi, welcome. I'm glad to welcome her today. Today we're going to talk a little bit about what's been going on outside the museum, which is kind of a, a different place for us to be. Um, the museum itself is in an old gas station, if people haven't been here before. And around the outside of this building is a l- number of uh, uh, plots, a number of places where you can plant uh, flowers. And we've done lots of things with over the years. However, this year, uh, because of the fact that Mary Lynn is involved with a group called the Kane County Master Gardeners, um, she has gone ahead with a major project and worked with them to uh, really renovate and update and actually retrodate our gardens here at the museum. Um, So today we're going to talk a little bit about that process and the master gardeners and uh, how Mary Lynn got started in it. So um, I think maybe that's a good place to start is talk a little bit of how you got involved in the first time. Actually, first, let's talk a little about uh, you as president, vice president of the museum. Um, The way the museum works is um, all officer elections are for two years. So I am going to be finishing up my second year as president this December. Mary Lynn will then hopefully take over as president, unless there's some kind of a uprising or major revolution or <laughs> something in the, in the meantime, uh, and I don't make it to December. And But um, in any case, so and then come January, um, uh, Mary Lynn will be the president here. So um, let's talk outside here now. How did you become a master gardener or get involved or interested in the master gardeners? I love gardening. And this was on one of my bucket lists. And they were over at the extension office over on Randall Road and learned about it, new friends that were part of the Master Gardener world and wanted to to do that once I retired. So I, I put my application in, which was a selection that they chose people to be part of the Master Gardener program. And you went to class. You had to have a certain grade point to become to go farther. Then you became an intern for a year for different parts of their world and then at the end of that then you became a master gardener once you met that that those requirements so that's what I did and while I was an intern I was here volunteering at the museum and saw that the gardens were definitely in despair and thought this could be an opportunity to work in the master gardeners great um so but I'm taking you had a, a love for gardening your whole life right yes I did okay is it different then to work with a group of people as opposed to on your own thing? Or is that is it easier then or is it more difficult? What is it? How does it change the dynamics of things when you work with them? Well, one is more social because mm-hmm. you're working with a group of people that have common interests. And that there's different areas of gardening. There's there's vegetable gardening. There's, there's composting gardening. There is um, natural, naturalists gardeners. So there's a big division in, and I don't mean separation, but in big selection of choices to choose once you're in the the master gardener world to go further with. Um, I'm just a master gardener. I'm not a naturalist or conservationist at this point. I'm a master gardener, so I work and do volunteer positions for the master gardeners. I represent them in other, other locations here throughout King County. 
So the Master Gardeners, give us some examples of some of the things that the Master Gardeners are worked on in St. Charles that, that people might be familiar with so they know what the work is. We have an idea garden at Peck in 38, Route 38, and there we open it three times to the public. We'll be opening it this Saturday the 15th for the public to come and observe what they've created, what those gardeners that signed up to work at that spot do. And we also are with proven winners out there. We are some of their test gardens for some of their plants out there. Um, So we do quite a bit of planting on a weekly basis at the Idea Garden to make sure it's at the standard that we look for. And then from there, we also have Sherman Hospital is another area that we do a lot of vegetable, community vegetables, and they've been given an award on that. And they do composting out there, too, where they teach about composting. We do some things at other libraries throughout King County for children, that we do children's programs at those libraries. Or garden centers will go down into Naperville, Aurora, and do events for children there. It's not all children driven, but we also have a speakers bureau that will go out to the public that request our attention and we'll talk about plants or whatever it is about related to plants out there. Oh, okay. How about like the bridge, the Main Street Bridge in St. Charles? That's Pottawatomie Garden Club. That's okay. another group. Okay. We won't talk about them today. We'll get, we'll get somebody in from them to talk specifically about I'm part that. of them too. Oh, are you? Okay. All right. Well, maybe we'll do a second podcast right after this one. Um, so the... Um, so we've got these plots here. They're covered in all sorts of plants. A lot of, a lot of stuff that's survivor plants. You know that just manages to get through without watering or mm-hmm. attention or anything. And uh, we decide we're going to change it out now. And you start working on your project. And at some point, you have the idea that since the the history museum is celebrating its 90th year, so we were actually not founded, but we kind of that's where we began in 1933. Kind of a loose club of people. We've talked about it on another podcast. But um, so we're now in our 90th year. So since we're celebrating 90 years since 1933, you said, how about we put together 1933 gardens or at least mm-hmm. celebrate 1933 with the flowers that we put in mm-hmm. the gardens and things like that. So that I'm sure that was just simple, right? You just went down to the Heinz gro- uh, flower shop, said, give me all your 1933 plants. And no, you're shaking your head. No. Okay. There was a lot of research. What were 1933 flowers like? And how they relate to today's selection of annual flowers or perennials. So first thing I found is the authors that wrote back in 1933. And there was quite a few of them um, that gave me a list of flowers that they planted in their gardens. And the thing that all, that jumped out to me was this fragrance that these annuals or these flowers gave to their homeowner or to their gardener. And that's something we don't have today, that many of the scents that these flowers had have been genetically altered to be more colorful, more bug resistant, more drought resistant, more disease resistant. So by doing that, they've lost the scent. Mm. The scent was removed, which is kind of a shame because the scent was more spicy, more perfumey. So we don't have that in a lot of our flowers today. Yeah. But we have the other things that they wanted, the public demanded. What did you do about that then? How, how, do, you, how do you compensate for that? Well, I reached out to some of the um, local growers here that like ball seed, and they referred me to maybe um, sweet pea was one that still had a scent. So I 
picked up a lot of heritage seeds and have grown them to see what the scent was, if it is still there. And I haven't, they haven't produced any flowers yet, but they're out there growing in our garden. And different flowers, too, to see what, what has a scent. So you've, you're successful at that. You found, at least you think you're going to be successful. At I'm that. hoping, We're, yes. Yeah, yeah we, we measure it at the end. But to be honest with you, it looks beautiful right now. It's every time I, every day when I come in, I see some other flower that I haven't noticed before. Well, so you. that's what's always cool about a garden. And then I think the other thing is, because there are different areas outside the museum, even logical areas, there's the front of the museum, the side of the museum, there's a, a raised bed that we use for our victory gardens every year and things like that. You didn't do this all by yourself. This became a project for everyone and split it up. And I, I just say before I ask you to explain that, um, it's one of the cool things to, for me to come in in the morning and here's already two or three people out here, you know, picking off the dead flowers and, and watering and cleaning up and everything else. So that's pretty nice to have that happening around here. So tell me a little bit about the process then that you guys kind of got together and figured out how who was, who was going to do what or what spoke to them. For So every year the the master gardeners open up a list of what events are available to sign up for. And I did a presentation with the master gardeners of what this event was going to be about. And 14 stepped up to say they want to be on this. And most of them live locally, not all of them. So they were really excited to do this because this is one of the last buildings you see as you exit downtown or the first ones you see when you enter. And it needed some attention, needed a lot of attention. And they were very excited to learn and hop onto this program that's about a 1933 garden. And they did some research. They looked, came out, we did a lot of planning meetings of what they were going to do, who was going to break up into teams. And they broke up into multiple teams for each of the garden beds. And they came up with a design. I saw what their designs were before they did anything, saw the plants that they chose and why they chose those plants to plant in each of the beds that they've chosen. And they've gone and done an outstanding job. It's taken a team to do this. It's not an individual person that could have ever accomplished what they've accomplished. And I think they've done an outstanding job. Well, I agree, definitely. I, that's, so that's an interesting thing now. So first we have to find the plants, and we have to get some ideas of what plants actually were representative mm-hmm. in 1933. The challenge of finding those plants, because they've all been kind of bred into something that we like in 2023. You put, a, put together a team. The teams come out. They've all kind of picked the spot that they want to get. And everybody's been been working hard at this. Um, when you got out here, everything was exactly as you expected, right? There were no challenges. There, <laughs> there was <laughs> one of the challenges was this, was this bindweed, and we had to work with Public Works, who's been outstanding and very cooperative and generous of their time. They've helped us with the, this bindweed, which gets into the plants and destroys the plants and in pulling them out every time you pull it out it creates more vine vine weed and it was a very big problem and it is going to be a problem for many years to come because it's going to take a long time to get that out of that soil mm-hmm. and then uh, i think we had trouble with how much soil there actually was even in some areas some areas was was there was a lot of mulch but not always really good soil mm-hmm. and also we have a bed that still needs to be needs to have some attention to it that Public Works is aware of, and they'll be working on that later this summer. 
Yeah, I, I think that's something we got to be sure we, we capture here is that Public Works has been a partner throughout this. I mean, uh, not only in labor, but also in a lot of the uh, experience that they have working with plants and things and, and even alternate alternative ideas for mm -hmm. plants that we could consider that we might not have thought of. So, yeah, they've been a great help over there. That's uh, who, who all have you been working on? It's AJ is one and also Victor. Victor, yeah. Victor yeah. Pierce. And also it took a proposal. I had to write up a proposal for public works and for the master gardeners and have it approved by our executive director and each one of those groups to go forward on this. Yeah, I think um, that's another important point. The museum actually exists in a building that's owned and maintained by the city. So you actually are working on the city's uh, property here when you're mm -hmm. working on it. So, so um, kind of uh, rose to the challenge. Uh, got rid of the bind bindweed, or working on getting rid yeah, of it. Yeah, we're going to spend the rest of our lives right. getting rid of it. But I, it looks a, a million percent better well, today, and everything else. Um, and and we are starting to see some results from this. Um, are these all plants that are just going to? They're all perennials. They're going to exist, or is this something that's going to require annual maintenance or annual returns by someone to? We look to see to keep it seasonal that each season will introduce new plants that are relative to that season. Um, different of the beds, different beds have different themes. So the one very front is more of a, um, a dressy looking bed. And that one is mostly perennials at this time. There are some annuals in it. And the difference between a perennial and an annual is a perennial comes back every year on its own. An annual is only good for that year for that season and then we have another bed where it was seeds from people's homes that they brought and plants from their own house that they brought and used in their flower beds and they come out and water and pick pick off whatever isn't shouldn't be there mm -hmm. then the one over by the bell the l-shaped one we call that um, the l-shaped one is still we're waiting for some plants to be delivered from from public works and so that one's still in progress and it's beautiful it's turning out took all those bindweed plants out of there and it's been a work and then in addition to that there's the raised bed that's the pollinator with which is university of illinois citizen science program yeah let's talk a little bit about that the the eye pollinator or is that just pollinator i'm, I'm not clear it's an eye pollinator eye pollinator mm -hmm. and it's an interesting thing where it's a another partnership and the idea behind this being that through your efforts, you're going to actually add to the information that the university has to work with to do some things in terms of, what, forecasting uh, pollinator growth or populations? Is that what it's it, really it's for? It's populations because yeah. we, we're losing pollinators. So they're looking, they gave me a list of flowers to plant, and I chose from that list what to put in our raised bed. And once a month, a citizen or myself would sit there and we would monitor everything. We would monitor the um, location of the plants, what's around the plants, like how, like a hundred feet around the plants, what other plants are going to impact this garden. And then I sit there and I watch for pollinators. And it's about three minutes per group of plants that I have to sit there and watch to see if any pollinators stop by. A pollinator could be an ant. It could be anything that rubs their body on the pollen that's in these flowers and then walks away and goes someplace else. So I monitor that, how long I've looked and the time I did that and how many plants I monitored that. Once I complete that eye pollinator citizen project for that month, 
then I go home and I download it on my computer and send it off to their um, agricultural, consumer science, and environmental department. And they're collecting that do- that data across the state. How are we doing on pollinators? Well, we had one pollinator last month. It was an ant. <laughs> I'm doing it at a different time of day this, this coming okay. week. And any citizen out there that would like to hop on this bandwagon are more than welcome to come and help me. Um, yeah, we can, maybe we can post something on social media yeah. to the pollinator pollinator <laughs> group and see if they want to stop by. Let them know. Um, what are some of the plants that are in the pollinator group? We have a um, milkweed out there that is a um, butterfly milkweed. And then I also have um, some Cleome, Alyssum are some of the plants that we have out there. So where are we at with this? Do you, are we done? Are we... This is an all-summer program. So it goes on, and, and it'll require work all summer long. And and um, I think as far as the museum's concerned, um, it's great to see the, the freshness of this. Um, but as far as the public is concerned, I'd encourage them to come down here and see um, exactly what a 1933 garden would have mm-hmm. consisted of. Um, and, and I think as the summer goes on and we and the plants start to mature, I think it's kind of a place to revisit and come back and see us again. What have we What have we forgotten about this whole project? Well, we're planning. We're going to start planning for the fall. What kind of plants we want to include in these beds that we've already started, and that um, just to keep it maintained. We're here multiple times a week, watering, weeding, refreshing the patio out in front. So our commitment to the exterior of the museum is very much in our in our minds daily of how we're going to do this. And they're very dedicated to this project. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much. Convey my thanks and everyone at the museum's thanks for the, the, the uh, gar- Master Gardeners for the help on this and all the volunteers that have helped with it, uh, Public Works especially. Um, and, and thank you very much for being the lead on this and, and, and taking the lead on it. Um, I really appreciate it as president today and, and going forward, I think it's going to be a great addition for us. So Mary Lynn, thank you. And, thank and you. thanks for joining the podcast today. Um, and hope, thanks, Steve. Hey, thanks no, for inviting. No problem. <laughs> and we'll have you back here. We'll find some other things to talk about because I know we're, we always got something we're cooking here. So um, thanks again, uh, everyone else. Um, not a lot of projects that I haven't talked about earlier that we've got firmed up right now. Um, our current exhibit continues to be the 1933 Chicago World's Fair and uh, St. Charles's relationship to that. We're getting some good traffic out of that. We are working on some other programs. I don't have the final details on things, but watch for a program that we're going to be doing in cooperation with the St. Charles Public Library uh, with a speaker about the 1933 Chicago World's Fair. And we're working on a program potentially with the Hotel Baker, um, and I'll have more details about that hopefully in the next podcast. So again, everyone, thanks for tuning in. And Mary Lynn, thanks for stopping by. Thanks again, Steve. Thank you for listening to the St. Charles History Chronicle podcast. This content is copyright 2023, St. Charles History Museum, all rights reserved. Additional information on this episode and other podcast episodes is available at stcmuseum.org forward slash podcast.